Turn with me to John chapter 21. Verses will be on the screen. I'm still struggling visually from a surgery a couple months ago, so I may just read them off the screen instead of trying to... I like to to read out of this so that you know I'm reading from Scripture instead of just from from an iPad or something or, or my manuscript, but I might not be able to do that, so I might just be looking back there some of the time today. The title is, When You've Blown It, and we have all been there. And again, maybe you're sitting right smack dab in the middle of that place right now. I've known plenty of people who sin terribly in a public way, even though they know and love Jesus. They did before they committed that sin, and they love Jesus now on the other side of that sin, or whether they're sitting in the middle of it right now. They failed in ways that, that, that you know, you know the common ways, whether it's a wife or a husband with infidelity. Sometimes it was a teenager that I was working with or, or knew in a family situation that had an unplanned pregnancy, whether it was a boy or a girl. I've seen both sides of it and you have as well. And we like to think that it's just drastic for the female side, but it can be just as, just as drastic for the teenage male side when dealing with that and trying to handle it in an appropriate way that is honoring to God. Some were arrested for embarrassing crimes that became public. And now with social media, it easily and quickly becomes public. Very public, very fast. None of these people, and I mentioned that the ones that I'm referencing in my mind, they love Jesus. Just like we love Jesus. And they still sinned in a way that became public and embarrassing. None of them woke up one day and said, I think today I'm going to go blow my life up. I think today I'm going to go deny my Savior, hurt my family, lose my job, destroy my reputation. That's not usually how it works, is it? You can think about your own times. You didn't wake up that morning, that week, that two or three day period when it happened and say that. That month period when it happened and say that. No, we usually do it slowly by stepping away from Jesus and into sin one little sinful compromise at a time. One little sinful compromise at a time. But let me give you a safeguard that I have and that you should have as well. I have one student this morning for Sunday school. And we've been meeting in my office with all the chaos that is going on in the back of us, which is getting sorted out. But we've just been meeting in my office. Kelly has been meeting with me when she's not in the nursery or in the preschool class. And some of you have asked and have said, yes, I'm willing to help do some of these things, and there's still a need for that. So I had to go and get Kelly this morning to come and sit in my class with one student because the student was Jenna. And I didn't want to be in a classroom with me and with Jenna. And as a church, we don't do that. We don't want to do that. That's why we have asked for help. So that's the safeguard I had. So there was more than one of us with a door that was still sort of open, a window right there. Do you see that? Instead of, you can change that and say, well, 
you know, they're over there, and it's not so. That's what we can start doing when we start rationalizing and compromising with questionable situations, and you really might not feel bad of it at first, so you compromise just a little bit. And that's what these people that I've re referenced did. Generally, they just compromised a little bit, which made that next compromise, which might be two steps instead of one, a little bit easier because I already compromised this one. Nothing bad happened. Didn't get on the news. So the next compromise comes, and before you know it, you're down there somewhere. And it's a little easier and a little easier and a little easier to, to go another step and then another step. We've all experienced this to some degree, and it didn't become public. And you can thank your Heavenly Father for those situations. We ignore the warning that the pleasures of sin are short-lived. The writer of Hebrews said of Moses, he chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. And that's in Hebrews eleven twenty-five. This is a tough reference to share, but <clears throat> even though it's being recorded, I'm going to share it because it's very fitting. I, I originally did a version of this message with our, with our students, our youth, on Wednesday night, two or three months ago, after we first started meeting. I encourage everybody that's here, this is a little plug. If you have kids, sixth grade, 12th grade, even young college age, let them be a part of what we're doing here. I strenuously encourage you to do that. I won't yell at you to do that. I'll just strenuously encourage you to do that. A friend of mine called two or three months ago, and he said, Kevin, I don't know what to do. Lives in a different part of the state. I don't know what to do. I am fairly certain that my pastor and my music pastor are having an affair. And our kids are dating. My daughter is dating his son. So I have information and I have, you know, inside the home from my daughter of what's been taking place. And plus, he's a good friend of mine. We hang out and, and, and I can see things and I'm pretty sure. And I said, you, you need to go talk to him. He said, I don't know how to do that. So I just gave him some simple instructions, said, you need to go talk to him. And he was scared and he did not. And he kept talking to me about it through the next several weeks and months and eventually it came to a head and his suspicions were correct and for the short term these two people have wrecked their lives they've hurt lots of people who love them including their own families they've lost their jobs they put their marriages on the brink of collapse and they've hurt their churches their former churches ability to minister for the short term in that community well, what do we do when we blow it? I'm not attacking them. I'm, I'm using this as an example of what do we do when we blow it? Because we have, and we will, and it might, might, might not be in such a public way as this where a whole community knows about it, but we will. We will again. Maybe you're at this point, the final week, of 2019 still struggling with something that you've done sometime in the past 12 months and you're trying to figure out what, what, what do I do now I'm embarrassed even to step inside that church and if anybody really knew what was going on with me I don't think I would be welcome there that's not true at all what do we do when we've blown it 
Is Jesus finished with us? When those times come, we need to remember Peter's story. He was one of the 12 disciples, one of the closest in that inner circle of three. And he denied knowing Jesus. You probably are familiar with the story. Three times the night Jesus was crucified. In Luke 22, verses 54 through 62. So they arrested him, Jesus, and led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. And finally she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, I don't even know him. And after a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he is Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. When Jesus told him that that would happen, it was because... Peter was saying, I'm not going to run away from you. I'm ready to die with you. And Jesus said, die with me? Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny three times that you even know me. And Peter said, I'm never going to do that. And all the other disciples vowed to do the same. And then they did exactly what Jesus said they would do. Well, fortunately, that's not the end of Peter's story. And it doesn't have to be the end of our story. So let's look at it but let's not just look at it let's remember it maybe for what you're experiencing right now but certainly for future reference first of all Jesus pursues us when we sin Jesus was crucified and buried the next day but then on Sunday he rose from the grave and he appeared to his 12 disciples and others multiple times and over the next few days and weeks he appeared to people multiple times and John tells us about this one in John 21 1 through 7. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. And at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And then he said, well, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. And then the disciple Jesus loved, John identifying himself, said to Peter, it's the Lord. Well, Peter had already seen the risen Lord. He'd already seen him. But he was embarrassed at what he had done. And unlike Peter, impulsive, big mouth, foot in the mouth, Peter, he stayed quiet. Big mouth Peter had stayed quiet when Jesus had appeared to them. So Jesus arranged a direct encounter and he pursued Peter, and he didn't leave Peter alone to figure things out for himself. 
what he had done, the denial, the multiple denials. He didn't just leave Peter alone and say, ah, he'll, he'll start feeling sorry enough and he'll come. No, Jesus pursued him. Notice what Peter was doing and whose idea it was. Where were they? What were they doing? Fishing. Now, you might be thinking that, but them using the nets, they went back to their trade. They went back to what they had done before. They went back to their old way of life. They were going to go fishing. Maybe it was just something comforting to them, but he went back fishing. But Jesus had already said, from now on, you're going to be doing what? Fishing for people. I'm going to make you fishers of men. He didn't want him to be a commercial fisherman anymore. He had called him to lead his church, which Peter was to help establish. He had called him, we'll see soon, to preach the first message of that church. He had called him to lead this group of disciples in Jesus' absence, not to be sitting in a boat on a lake fishing as a living. When we sin, Jesus is not going to leave us alone either. I'm speaking to us as Christians primarily, but Jesus is not going to leave us alone after we've blown it. He comes after us. I hope you have personal experience of Jesus coming after you, after you have failed in some demoralizing, crushing, embarrassing way. He comes after us and he convicts us, which means he shows us the truth about our sin and he draws us away from it. The Spirit's conviction that only he can bring us, drawing us to him and away from that sin and away from our whatever it is that we're laying there groveling in drawing us to himself he gives us the choice to come back to him he never abandons us when we stray he always pursues us and these points are going to go quickly from here on secondly we can run or we can repent when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work and he jumped into the water and he headed for shore Peter jumped out of a perfectly good boat trying to get to Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I picture the other disciples rowing past Jesus saying, what a dummy. We're going to win. But impulsive Peter saw Jesus and just reacted. Just jumped. I've got to get there. I've got to get there. He could run or he could repent. And in this moment, he chose to repent. He went toward Jesus, and that is the key. When Jesus pursues us, we also have the choice to run to him or away from him. Peter just as easily could have jumped out of the boat and swam to some other corner of that shore, getting as far away from Jesus as he could. You've been there, right? I I know what I've done. I I can't even pray in this moment. Jesus knows what I've done. I'm embarrassed. I can't tell him. I can't ask him to forgive me again for this thing that I've been asking him to help me to overcome for this many months, this many years, and I, I keep going back to it. I can't ask Jesus to forgive me again. Why can't you? Pride. When Jesus convicts us, we can run or we can repent. Peter shows us the proper action that we can take, the only good option that we have. And here's what happens next. Jesus forgives us when we repent. When people do us wrong, now I'm going to speak personally here and just assume that you're sort of like me being human. When people do me wrong, my natural instinct is to get them back 
or to be done with them, or if it's somebody that I can't be done with, at least to withhold forgiveness from them for a while so they will know what they have done to me and how bad they have made me feel. Does that sound similar? About right? Or are you one of those perfectly holy people that, you know, you walk around up here and you don't have any of those base level sinful desires and attitudes and actions? That is our sinfulness. Somebody does me wrong, well, I don't like it, and I'm going into defense mode. Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't treat us that way? Like we are so prone to treat other people that we love and whom love us. We want to get them back, even our, our family members. Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't treat us that way? Notice how he treated Peter. Verses 15 through 17. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Why did Jesus ask Peter three times? Same question. Do you love me? Lots been made of this. Commentators try to make this much of this part of it, the different words for love. And there's, if you read enough commentators, you'll find out that none of them really have a clue. Just speculating. We don't know. And you can write a big long book about it and what you think it means, and people have. But through this encounter, I think Jesus is mostly saying to Peter, you're not going to give me an insincere apology. You're going to have to think about what you did and not just say like our kids want to say to us when they've done something for the whatever time. Well, I'm sorry, and want to you know, keep going with life. And Wait, wait, wait. I need to know that you're really sorry. Not that you're just saying the words that lets you do what you want to do next. I want to know that you mean it. Peter had to deal with what he had done, not once, not twice, but one time for each denial. It's probably some of why there were the three questions. Jesus said to Peter something like this. It's not scripture, but I think we can see this. I know you're ashamed of what you did. I know you wish you hadn't done it. I know you're sorry. I love you anyway, and yes, I forgive you. And I hope you'll stay right here beside me from now on. And he says the same thing to us. Lastly today, Jesus restores us when we repent. Peter turned around and saw behind him the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. 
I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but Jesus didn't forgive Peter and then put him on the bench. <clears throat> he didn't say, I had big plans for you, but you blew it. I'm going to let you stay on my team, but I'm never going to let you get into the game again. You're just going to be on the team and you're going to sit right over there because of what you've done. Last year, this isn't written in here, but I just thought of it, and this is what makes me take longer than 30 minutes. Last year, University of Georgia had this freshman phenom football player at quarterback named Justin Fields. He was from the state of Georgia. He wanted to play for Georgia, even though Georgia had a really good freshman quarterback the previous year. Fields was bigger, faster, more athletic, a better arm. And he was rated the number one or the number two quarterback, depending on who you ask. I think that was determined last night. And the nation that year, the other one was Trevor Lawrence. You ever heard of that name? So Fields went to Georgia and just thought, I'll beat out Jake Fromm. It's no problem. I got all these attributes. I'll beat him out. So he went his freshman year, and in the entire season, he played very few meaningful snaps. He came in in mop-up time or just to, you know, give him a taste, and he didn't get to throw much. He would just hand off or run. And he was called on film by his own teammates after the South Carolina game, not this one that they lost, but the previous year, running his mouth, cussing, fussing. All I got to do was hand off. They just experienced a win. He got to play. It's the second or third game he's ever had in his freshman year, his career, and he's already mad and fussing because he's not getting to start. So after they lost the SEC championship game, he told everybody, I'm entering that transfer portal thing, and I'm leaving. But he wasn't sure. So Georgia's coach let him go to the Sugar Bowl with the team. He wanted to give him a chance to stay on the team and to come back to the team this year, so, so he let him go to the game, even though his teammates didn't want him to go. And when they went to the game, this is not how... Jesus responded to Peter. This is how we might respond. The coach said, you can go with us, but you're not getting in the game. This is all just a public display to say, we're with you and you're still on the team, but you're going to stand on the sideline, and I don't care if our starting quarterback breaks his knee off, you're not getting in the game. So as soon as the game was over, Justin Fields decided he was transferring, and he went to Ohio State. And last night he played against his old neighborhood quarterback and buddy Trevor Lawrence this is not what Jesus said to Peter I'm going to let you look like you're still on the team but you're not going to get to do anything from now on because you have messed up and you have been a thorn and you have caused problems and you've just been a royal embarrassment you're going to still be a part of us but you're just sitting down when I was in my late 20s I was single and I was discouraged and one night before I went inside my local YMCA, I prayed. Now, this is two stories wrapped in one, so I hope you get it. I prayed, dear God, remember a few years ago when I was outside my gym and I asked you to do a miracle and let there be a pretty girl inside? <laughs> and every time I say something like this, Kelly just doesn't happen to be here. She's with, you know, the preschoolers today. She's already read this, so I have approval. And when I walked in the door, she was five feet inside. I was shocked that you did that once. This is a few years removed. Will you do that again tonight? 
I'm not asking for a wife. I just need some hope. And I don't want to be single all my life. And there were probably some tears in this prayer that I literally prayed. This YMCA was huge, and it had lots of different areas. It had two or three basketball courts. It had a daycare center. It had a pool section. It had multiple, multiple cardio areas and multiple freeway areas. And because it had already happened once to me where I walked in and there she was, I walked into this gym, this big complex, and I checked every area. Seriously, I checked every area. I went to the child care center. I wasn't even married and didn't have kids. I went to the child care area and just looked. I went into all these basketball gyms divided by long curtains, and I looked at each one. After I checked the cardio, I went to the weight area. I'm like, I hope she's not here. <laughs> I checked them all. And dejected, I sat down on a bench. And I must have had some sort of look on my face. Because as I was sitting there dejected, I didn't meet a girl that night, but I met a guy. He was about 30 years old, never seen him, and he just started talking to me. He said something like this, I don't know what you're going through, but I want you to know that Jesus loves you, and he's going to get you through it. I hadn't said a word to him, nothing. And then it got better. He said, I'm living proof that you can trust him. It turns out that years before, this guy had had a DUI accident and he had killed a lady when he was 17, 18, 19 years old. And he was in his mid-30s. He went to jail for years. Went to jail for years. And during that time, he either recommitted his life to Christ or he surrendered his life to Christ for the very first time, truly. And God had been using him since that time. And when he was released from prison after he had served his time for vehicular manslaughter, he used his time to warn teenagers of the dangers of drinking and driving and alcoholism and not following God's plan for your life and all these things. So he just sat there and ministered to me that night and made me feel great, but also like an ungrateful little sourpuss. I don't think I ever saw him again, but God answered my prayer that night just in a much different way than I had hoped. I walked around there hoping just to see somebody that I could find attractive so I could know that there is going to be hope for me not to be single the rest of my life. But God told me that he was going to take care of me whether I was single or married and that he would use, this was more important. It was true for that guy, but it was also true for me. He would use anyone who was surrendered to him no matter what situation they were in, and no matter what they had done. Jesus still had work for Peter to do. A few weeks later, just a few weeks later, God sent his Holy Spirit, and it was this same Peter who stood boldly in front of thousands of people in Jerusalem. And he explained to the crowd what was going on. And he told everyone in words that they could understand regardless of where they were from, what was happening, and that it was Jesus who was the Savior, and the church began that day. A few weeks before, he was too scared even to be identified with this same Jesus. 
But now for the rest of his life, he endured whatever it cost him to preach about Jesus, to travel around the world telling people about Jesus. And it led him to his own cross. We all sin daily. We sin in ways we never imagined that we would. Maybe you're embarrassed at some of the things that you've done and you've put yourself on the bench believing that God can or won't use you anymore. Peter tells us that we're wrong if we believe that. God can turn our greatest failures into our greatest opportunities for ministry, just like he did that guy in that YMCA in Greenwood, South Carolina about 20 years ago with me. So if it's been a rough year, or even if it's been a rough few years, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Tell him you're sorry. Leave those sins behind and let him restore you, which means to make new, to make useful again. And we would love to help you do that. As we close this part of our service, our invitation is just to let you respond to what Jesus has said to you, what he's challenging you to do today. If you know this is the church home that God wants you to be a part of, you are welcome to make that public today. We would love to help you with that. Whatever decision that you like to make would need to make, let us help you with that today. Father, we love you. We thank you for speaking to us today through Peter's failure and his restoration. It's all of our prayers this morning that each of us would surrender to you in whatever way you're challenging us. Help us to run to you. Help us to let you restore us from big sin, from small sin, regardless of the size. Help us to have nothing standing between you and us. We give you this time in Jesus' name.